Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! of the internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are joined by a slightly unusual panel today to talk about our two most recent fixtures. Joining us as per usual, though, is Brian Ashlock from the slopes of South Florida. Brian, how are you doing tonight? I'm wonderful, thank you. And since Ben can't hang, we had to dragoon someone in to replace him, so we have soccer gadfly Ryan Rosenblatt. Ryan, how are you doing? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm doing great. Was here to talk about an exciting, just uplifting Tottenham Hotspur team. We actually do have two good results to talk about today. Uh, so, Brian, you're, you're you're a different voice on this podcast. How are you feeling about Spurs this year? I'm curious because I think you offer a slightly different perspective from Brian and the Pendulum. So, uh, how are you That's feeling? A great about band Spurs? name. Uh, yeah. Can we let's keep <laughs> Brian and the Pendulum? Yeah, let's keep that. Mark that down. Let's, let's, tra- let's trademark that. Uh, Brian, Brian, how are you feeling about Spurs this year since we haven't had you on in quite a bit? And uh, now we have a new coach who I'm sure you love and support. Yeah, I mean, that's a loaded question. Um, I, I I like it's it's fun the last few games watching us play soccer. Um, I thought it was a, a good tactical decision on Jose's part to um, play the good players and, and play soccer. Um <laughs> I hope he continues to do that, but I mean, I I'm less interested in Tottenham over the last year than I have literally ever been. I I don't. And you go like, you go back further than any of us. You started rooting for Spurs. I know for our English listeners, this might not be as impressive, but <laughs> rooting for Spurs since the early 2000s, right? Yeah, it was 2001 for me. So, um, but yeah, I just the way that things went down um, with hiring. Jose and and the decisions that Levy's made and the way that he's managed the club, I just, it feels more soulless and less interesting to a point where I, I just care less than I have ever cared before. And there are points when I'm just like, Oh, the thing that makes me like when, I mean, it hasn't been the last few games, but like we've had terrible games and I'm like, the thing that makes me sad, isn't that we played terrible. The thing that makes me sad is I'm not that mad that we didn't play, that we played terrible because I'm just not as invested in it as I have ever been. So, I mean, I suppose it's better that uh, we win games than lose games. I still watch all the games, but I, at this point, like, I would like to see some kind of heart and soul come back to the club, and I don't think that's going to really happen um, under Jose. So I, I also kind of just, when we lose, I'm like, well, that's one match closer to getting him fired. You know, it's funny you say that, Ryan, because, you know, I think, Watching the combination of Bale and Kane, I think, would thaw even the most hardened Spurs fans are. And I actually had a moment during this game where I think it occurred to me about how dire the season has been. In that, you know, we're essentially, in some ways, watching Spurs fan fiction here. And, you know, Gareth Bale, the best player of the previous era of Tottenham Hotspur, is combining for outstanding goals with Harry Kane, who's if not our best player ever, certainly the best player of this era. And again, it goes back to what you said. It's Jose's finally playing the good players. 
But it was kind of stunning to sort of realize that we had this sort of, you know, this thing that I think we all would have been very excited to see at any point over the last five years, and it just hasn't felt. And some of that's, you know, because there aren't fans in the stadium, and obviously because Gareth Bale has not been good until the last month. But, you know, it's just been kind of, I, I, I just, it struck me how it just, that I don't feel like that has, like, risen to the sort of top of the Spurs consciousness, Spurs fan consciousness, I feel like, because I think everything else has just been so bleh. Yeah, I mean, for me, and I think this kind of ties into generally my why I care less than I ever have, and it makes me sad I don't care as much, is the thing that has kind of always attached me to Spurs and the things that did from the beginning is, like, Spurs as a club has always kind of had a level of ambition and goal and in some in some kind of it was always like it was a constant project even when the project failed as it did many times even when it crashed and burned even when it was a kind of ridiculous project like there was we knew like this is who we are this is what we're trying to do this is our goal we're trying to build to this um which is kind of always what we've always had i don't think we have that now i think some of the mistakes that we saw um, in terms of management towards the end of the Pochettino era were doubled down on um, with the hiring of Mourinho and, and then throughout the Mourinho era. And it just feels like we're we're clinging to the hope that we can maximize what we have left of this group of players. Um, and it's I, I think it's a kind of a silly thing, but also when your project and your goal is we hope we can string as much out of this as we can, like that's not really inspiring so i i think that is where i kind of lose that heart and soul and like it would be great to have kane and bale doing these things and i had a great time like it was really fun and not only was it really cool but the goals were really good so that's a bonus too but like when that's the starring feature and not the nice side piece or part of a larger narrative or part of the story or part of the project when that's it that's where it kind of loses me and like i want that to be the i want that to be kind of like the side piece, the bonus to the project into something we're building, but that's it. Well, so I'm curious as your opinion on this because I, I certainly get what you're saying about Mourinho, but I think one thing that sort of honestly is one of the things that bothers me about Mourinho here is I feel like, like let's say tomorrow Jose Mourinho gets hit by a bus or the Portuguese national team decides to hire. Like he's let's say tomorrow. Mourinho leaves Spurs, or at the end of the season, for whatever reason. I think this is still a pretty good squad. I think there's issues with it, but, like, part of why I kind of, I've been very adamant about, I'm, I'm done with Mourinho, I want him out of here, and I don't want to get too down this hole when we've actually had a couple good results, but part of the reason I want him out of here is, like, I feel like we have a pretty good squad that doesn't require, like, you, you were talking about a project, and I don't think it requires, a, it would require a ton of overhaul to get us back to sort of where we want to be, or at least, like, a reasonable shot at where we want to be. Like, if you brought in a Nogglesman or even a Hassan Huddle or whoever, like, a better a manager we think is better or more suited to what we want to do as Spurs, I think this roster is pretty good. I think it's just, like, what Mourinho's doing with it is the problem. I mean, I think it's a combination. Um, I mean, we've talked about this not on this podcast, but, like, I, I think that Levy made a lot of mistakes in the, at the end of the Pochettino era that kind of highlighted the same mistake that he made with Jose and kind of is just kind of who the club is now. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the squad has a lot of good things about it. And I think we're seeing that now. I mean, we can sit here and say that like it's Burnley, it's Fulham, it's Crystal Palace, it's Zagreb. We're not playing good teams. 
those were teams we weren't beating earlier. So, yeah. like, it is a step to do that. And, and, like, going out and just, like, beating a team because you have better players than them, like, good. Like, you want to have good players and you want that to matter. Like, that's not that's not something to kind of just sneeze at. That is indicative of the stature of your club. Um, so I think there's something there, and, and there are good players there. But I think a lot of it also comes down to not only do you have good players, but are they playing in a way that maximizes their ability? Do you have an identity and a style and a system in which you want to play? And then when you want to add, because I, I agree, I think the squad is pretty good, and there's three, maybe four pieces away from being really, really good. If we're th- If that's the project is how do we make that next jump, then you're talking about what is our style going to be, what are the tweaks we're going to make to what we have now, and what are those three or four pieces we have to add, and that kind of should put together a cohesive picture. I don't know what that is, and that's kind of what bothers me, but I, I, I agree. Like, we saw in these last few games that, like, there are a lot of really good players out there. Like, we beat Zagreb today entirely because our players are much better at soccer than their players. It's not the most complicated thing. That is indicative of the quality of the squad. There's a lot to work with there. Well, I think, and Brian, I'm interested in your thoughts on let's, let's, I want to start with the Palace game, because I think that was, I think the second half of the Palace game is probably the most fun I've had all year as a Spurs fan. Like, that Gareth, I can't stop watching. I think it was his second, yeah, it was his second goal. I can't stop watching. He starts the move with his awesome cross across the field. He moves around, the ball gets pinged back from Regulon over to Kane, who dumps it off to Bale, or who heads it over to Bale. It's just Bale starting the move and moving it. Honestly, like the last few league games, maybe with the exception of Fulham, because Bale was just tired, you know, this is the Gareth Bale I wanted to see when we signed him. I knew he wasn't going to have that, like, I'm going to torch Micon speed that we got used to, but this kind of, like, you know, he can hit the shit out of the ball, he's extremely technical. He's very, you know, he's very savvy in terms of where, where and when to be somewhere on the football pitch. I mean, it was, we saw some really great football in that second half up against Palace. And I, I just, why do you think we're seeing this all of a sudden? Is it just Bale's fit? Is it like Mourinho just throwing them out, out there and letting them do their thing and it's bad teams? Well, I think a large part of it was that Crystal Palace was very much committed to not playing football. Um, you know, and so we have to take that into account. Uh, it, but that's not to take anything away because I, I absolutely agree that second half against Palace was some of the most fun that we've had in the last few months, at least, right? That King um, goal was insane, too. Like, I mean, yeah, the King goal is the best goal I've seen all season, I think. Um, I, it's just, you know, the game really could have gone the other direction after Palace equalized right before the break. And as a fan sitting there watching it, you see us concede the goal, and you're like, here we go again. I'm not really going to enjoy my Sunday now. <laughs> and and then we came right back out and we scored what like three or four minutes after halftime. We scored a couple minutes again after that, you know. And and that is something that we have talked about over and over again is, you know, Jose Mourinho taking the break off of the attack, um, and and just like like Ryan said, letting good players play football, and and, and you know. Look, it sucks that we don't have like intricate passing patterns or something that looks like we're. But this is the closest we've seen to that. I feel like like Kane and yeah, Kane I mean, and Bale were cooking for once. Like yeah, and maybe and Son too. It's like, just them doing it themselves, or maybe it's something Jose's doing. I don't know. I'm not at training, but like like you said, it was fun. Like it was it was the two best players on the team, or you know, the two highest profile players on the team. 
doing cool stuff and scoring cool goals and and I don't know how many we haven't had that many cool goals this year and we've had a couple in the last like two weeks mostly because go ahead Brian my question my question though Brian is you say like when they scored that goal just before half it could have gone the other way what about the idea that if they don't score that goal before half it goes the other way because we pack it in after half like is, is the reason we got that second half because we conceded a goal? Well, Mourinho said, there's a quote from Mourinho, and I know amongst our friends that we talk to about Spurs during the week, a lot of people get very wound up about like things Mourinho says in press conferences, and what a lot of them don't remember is a lot of these same people would get very wound up about some things that Pochettino would say in press conferences. Generally, I don't put a lot of stock in that, but Mourinho said something that actually made me want to put my head through a wall, which was, it was like, oh, it was a good thing Benteke scored because maybe we wouldn't have been as aggressive in the second half. And I'm like, you're not some dude like us sitting at home just watching this shit. Like, you're the manager of Tottenham Hotspur. You can tell them, like, take the handbrake off and go kick their ass. Like, I understand there's some level of maybe urgency that, like, Mourinho can't control, but, like, you're the fucking manager of the team. We pay you a lot of goddamn money to, like, get more out of this team than just the, the sort of replacement level performances that they would normally give. You shouldn't need Benteke to score a header before at the half to get Tottenham Hotspur to beat the brakes off of Crystal Palace. To that point, if Benteke doesn't score that goal, in one minute does Jose bring Sissoko in? Oh, I don't, you know, I'll give Jose credit. No, you know what? I'll give Jose credit for this. <laughs> if there's anything he seems to have done... He seems to have changed in the last few weeks. He seems to have recognized not playing Sissoko has j- helps this team's chances at winning things. Like, I will give him that credit. That, that, I will give him that little bit of credit. He seems to have oh, understood. Took him, what, a season and a half? Yeah. I mean, Pochettino never figured it out, so, you know. But you, here's the thing, though, is you say that, but yet in the last, what, two, in the, like, every time we've had a lead... Sissoko has come on to protect that lead. I don't so mind. If we're, yeah. if, we're, if we're only up 1-0 and you're like, oh, if we're only up 1-0 in the 60th minute and he's sitting there saying, well, the players need to be more aggressive, don't tell me that shit when in the 60th minute you're bringing on Sissoko to protect the 1-0 lead. And he comes on for bail, probably, right? It's... But let's... Okay, I don't want to get bogged I don't down. I know how long Gareth Bale can run. I don't want to get bogged down with Sissoko right now because he's not the thing. I'm... I, I, let's spend some time on Gareth Bale because Gareth Bale has had a hell of a few weeks here, and admittedly, he's doing it against lesser light, the lesser lights of the Premier League, and a couple trash Europa League teams. But I, especially against Palace, that was really, really impressive. We've already talked about that um, that second goal, but the first goal was vintage Gareth. Bale. It was actually the opposite of what Gareth Bale used to do for us, and that it got crossed over, and he just tapped it in. But Bale's been, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he just need to get fit or what, but I don't know. It's been fun and worth it because he's been really good the last few weeks. And I, I hopefully this just keeps going because it's, it's really nice to have Bale back in a Spurs shirt doing this. Well, and I mean, look, you know, I think we all said at the, when he signed that he wasn't going to be old Gareth Bale. That we maybe we needed to temper our expectations, and I don't know. Maybe I went the other way and was like, "No, he's real Gareth Bale. He's going to score 30 You bought the jersey, so I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> I do have a jersey. That's not that's, that's beside the point. But we're at the point now where he's got 
after today, I think does he, 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 we didn't score, so he's got eight goals, I think, on the season and maybe four assists. And so if you think if he ends the season with somewhere between 12 and 15 goals, is that a pretty good return for – Yeah. You know, I, I think he's it is. I mean, ten goals. Okay, it's ten goals. Sorry. Yeah. I, he, no, he, he he's scoring. So, I mean – and I, I don't think we expected him to have the pace that we, you know, we used to. I think if you'd watched him at Madrid the last couple of years, you could see that that had gone. And, you know, but he's still one of the most technically skilled players on this team. I mean, the cross he made in the Zagreb match today with the outside of his foot to almost set up Steven Bergvine, like, the skill to, to play that ball, that's ridiculous. That's a, that's a technique that not a lot of players are trying, and he just did it. And it, and it came off perfectly. And, you know, the some of the goals he has scored have been, you know, absolutely amazing. And so I, I think we've gotten our money's worth out of him. I just don't think, you know, I think a lot of people wanted this to be, like, the return of the king, you know. And he comes back and he bangs in 25 goals and scores 10 assists and leads us to three trophies. And, I mean, that was never going to be the case. You know, you know it just wasn't going to happen with the, the team that we have, the manager that we have. But he's played fine. He's played good. He's been really great in this last stretch. I'm really happy that he's getting a run in the team. I'm really happy that he's starting and that, that he's getting to play with Son and Kane. It's been a lot of fun. I want to see more of it. It's, it's probably the first time this year, and I, I say this as an American who – you know, even in regular non-COVID times, I, I can't attend a lot of games, so I just want that to be clear. But it's probably the first time this season that I've been really, like the last few games, like I've been really sad there aren't fans in the stands. Because, you know, Bale spent the last, like, however many years in Madrid, like the fans fucking hated him, his manager fucking hated him, he clearly wasn't happy. And now he's like, he clearly is enjoying himself and having a great old time at Spurs. And I think it's really sad that he doesn't have fans there you know, serenading him like they used to. And it's, yeah, hopefully he'll get that eventually, but. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, even like aside from the fact that he's playing good football, like I've enjoyed just watching him like sitting on the bench and smiling and joking around because like that dude was not happy being a footballer for the last few years. And like, it just makes me happy again to see him like legitimately, it seems to be, enjoy coming to the stadium or going to the training ground and having his little, like, Welsh connection and, like, dunking on Lucas or, or, like, all that type of stuff. Like, he seems to enjoy doing what he's doing. And, like, I know this feels, like, kind of weird to say, but, like, because we watched him and had him when he was 18, 19 years old or whatever and you kind of feel like you want to protect him or, like, you were there from the beginning, like, I just want Gareth Bale to be happy and the dude seems happy and I'm just so happy that he's happy, even aside from the fact that he is good at football again. But there's also that sense of like, no one loves you like us, Gareth. <laughs> like, you know, it's, 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 you know, like, was going to, was going to, no one loves him. No one loves him like we do. And once again, there was a point in the year where someone could argue that maybe um, Theo Walcott was having a better season, Gareth Bale. But as, you know, nature is healing. And Gareth Bale's now having a better season than Theo Walcott. So, you know, everything's returning to its place. So when we signed Bale the first time, like, I think there were, like, the hope, like, the optimism. Like, we knew he was, like Brian said, but he wasn't going to be who, who he used to be. But we're like, can can you win us three games? Like, can you have that great strike that wins us three games? That's like, that, that wins us some points. Could you give us a little bit here and there? I guess now the question becomes, as we've turned it around, 
is he giving us exactly what we wanted him to be, which was like, hey, you're probably not going to be fit all the time. You're not going to contribute all the time. But if you can have just those moments that turn games, like, great, done. And we just need you to kind of be like a little bit of bonus on top of the foundation that's there. Or is he really central to what we're doing right now? Which maybe gives you some pause because he's probably not going to stay doing this the rest of the year. You know, and like I can I can make the argument either way. Yeah. Which one? Is, but I think I think it's kind of interesting. Like, is this kind of a fool's gold thing, not for him but for the team, or is this him doing exactly what we need him to do when it's working perfectly? I I I wouldn't say it's working perfectly, but I tend to lean towards he's doing what we need him to do, and. You know, like, especially, I think the thing that is being lost here is, well, Celso's hurt. And, you know, if Bale can't go or Bale needs a rest and you throw those Celso in, that's, you know, well, Celso does other things, but that is a lot of attacking talent you can throw at the other team as well. And I've said this on this podcast before, like, I'm extremely... Well, Celso in a front three curious. Like, I, I really want to see that happen because he was so good at Batiste doing that. And, you know, I, I don't know. So much of it, I guess, Ryan, it also depends on, like, how much is, you know, Mourinho willing to let a little Celso or a Bergvine or whoever take the handbrake off against good teams and just attack as opposed to do this defensive winger shit. Well, that's, that's kind of why I'm kind of in that where it's like, oh, like, have we figured this, or has Jose figured it out? And like bringing Delhi in is what's made the difference. And like we mm-hmm. can talk about Delhi, I think he's made a huge difference. And so like bringing Delhi in is what's made the difference. And Bale's just giving us that little extra, which is like great, perfect, best case scenario, everything's working great. But I don't think it's or, just I don't think it's just extra with like, Bale because I think can come in or, or, or like that's where that's where I think the question is because I think the combination of injuries and whatever we want to call what happened with Delhi and Jose being Jose. I, like that's where it just makes it hard for me to read exactly what role Bale is playing now and what that says about the future, like irrespective of the fact that like Bale's been great. Like on like Bale is giving us the most we could have asked from Gareth Bale. Like this is separate from him, but just what does Gareth Bale tell us about the team then? I think so. I think what's impressed me the most about Bale is the way that he's not just sort of being great in isolation. He's really combining well with the guys around him. We've talked about how well he's worked with Harry Kane, which is, again, some sort of Spurs fever dream. But, like, him and Son, both on and off the pitch, they seem to be getting along super great. Like, he's trying to induct Son into the Welsh Mafia, which, you know, if I'm Sonny, I might turn that invitation down politely. But no, Sonny can't be Welsh. He speaks better English than Exactly. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Bale, I'll say this about Bale, like, and again, like how much we should be relying on him is, I think that's a perfectly valid question, Ryan. But you know, he's he's not just doing it on his own. He's integrating in with that front three in a way that I think we all hoped he would. So you know, and I think that speaks to how smart and versatile he he is as a footballer. Well, I mean, you know, look, Ryan hit on Deli Alley's introduction into the first team or reintroduction of the first team, but I also think you know. Lucas playing in a more central role has has changed the way we've looked um, in some of the league matches. I mean, you know, look, this is a, the the number ten role had been you know Tongi and Dombele's, and that meant that we played Sissoko in midfield, and now we figured out that Sissoko doesn't need to play in midfield, and Tongi can play in midfield, and then we can put another one of our attackers on, and whether it's been Lamella or Lucas or Delhi. It's just made us better. 
And I mean, that's the crazy thing, Ryan or Brian. God, you guys need different names. Um, that's the crazy thing, Brian. Is like I feel so much like again we played some shitty teams that we've played really well against, and that's fine. That's something we had trouble with earlier in the year. But so much of it's been like. Oh, what if I just play Lucas or Lamella or Bale or whoever instead of like Musa Sissoko or whatever donkey we're putting on the bench? It's it seems like such an easy choice, but it's really made a difference. You know, look, like I'm not saying that Tongi wasn't uh, playing well when he was playing at the ten. Like we, he was the best part of our attack at that point. But what he wasn't doing was he wasn't doing you know. Uh, runs into the box. He wasn't finishing off chances. He wasn't, you know, he he wants to pick up the ball in deeper positions and play passes to release players. And and when he drops deeper, uh, he he facilitates our attack much better. And so by just taking him out of the attacking band and moving him back into the pivot, we made our team so much better. And then we also put someone into the attacking band, whether it's Deli, whether it's Lamella, whether it's Lucas, who is a willing runner and who can dribble. Uh, you know who who doesn't have a problem getting into the box. All three of them do that. Like they all three have different skill sets. Lamella is probably the more creative passer of them all. Delhi is a pressing monster. He gets on the he gets second balls like nobody else. We saw that against Zagreb. That was a huge thing for us. And you know and, and Luke is just fast and jumpy and like just pops up and does good things sometimes. Like you know they all have their merits but it's just it's been an extra attacker that we weren't really using cuz so much of the early season was just Kane and Son and you know Bergvine was there but he was playing like you said Greg this defensive winger just workhorse donkey role where if he got a shot off in the box we were like oh look he had a great game and and that's not to knock Steve or or, or to say that he's not going to be a good player for Spurs but like he wasn't helping the attack. We talked all season, like uh, up until the uh, up until Sissoko got dropped, about how Bergvine's role and Sissoko's role were the two ways that if you wanted to improve the team, you just needed to fix those two roles. And we have, we have, and it was just by dropping Indombele back into the pivot and playing one of the other attackers that we had. If only yeah, we had a Champions League winning manager who didn't need half two thirds of a season to figure this shit out. I mean, I think I think the thing that's I think most interesting to me too is like you talk about how we put more attacking players on the field and like it's great that we scored a lot of goals like but we talk about like how Gareth Bale scores or creates a goal we talk about Harry Kane's goal against Palace which like I still don't know what in his right mind like made him think he should shoot that let alone score it like that's just some absurdity but like I think kind of the more telling thing from all that is that we actually haven't like created a ton of chances we're not it, like the issue is like we got some great finishing and that's good like it comes it goes whatever like i had a great time with it but that's not especially sustainable i think the the telling part about it was not that we created a ton or not that we scored a lot it's that we created a fair amount but we dictated where the game was played because of that and so we weren't conceding chances all the time we weren't playing in our own half we weren't asking our center back to I think have actually gotten kind of a bad rap this season because I think they've been asked to do a lot of things that they shouldn't have been asked to do. I, I The pressure is off of them, and I think that's why the bigger thing to me in terms of getting those attacking players on the field is we're pressing higher. Delhi is, like you said, winning like eight second balls a game. We're able to push the ball forward more, so even if we do give it up, we're able to press quickly and all those types of things. To me, 
like changes the fact that like we control the game in a way that we hadn't done previously just like separate from the goals because for all that possession all that pressure we're not creating a ton of chances which is fine we're creating a fine number of chances but the key is that we are always on the front foot and i think that's been the biggest difference for me well and it's it's so much of what's frustrating about that is like you know think back to like the the champions league season where we were so shorthand i mean we were using delhi in 15 different roles just to um you know put band-aids on our midfield and you look at our midfield this year, which, again, could use a little bit more depth, because I think with Skip coming back and maybe signing a guy like Sabitzer is going to happen next year. But, like, you know, we have lots of really good midfielders who do lots of different things. You know, Deli Alley, Lacelso, Ndombele, Hoybierg. Like, these are all guys who are very talented and can do lots of different things. And we just, like, for half the season, we refuse to really utilize them to the best of their potential because, like you said, Ryan, we were just asking our back line to sort of, you know, soak up all this pressure. And, you know, I, I don't want to act like our midfield didn't do anything, but certainly I don't think it was being utilized in the way that it should have been. Well, and look, I don't want to be Debbie Downer about, you know, Ryan's point or anything because I think it is valid that we have been more comfortable having the ball and, and dictating play, but we've also played... Burnley, yeah. Crystal Palace, Dynamo Zagreb, who didn't really have any interest in having the ball. And when we played Fulham, who did have an interest in having the ball, we did kind of let them dictate yeah. how we were playing. And we got out of there with a victory, so that's fine and dandy, but like... You hope that's because we were tired, but you've also watched Spurs all season, so... Yeah, so, so like, you know, I think Jose is still going to Jose when it comes to, you know, matches against Arsenal or Man United or Manchester City. Like, we're still going to have 35% possession and try to hit teams on the break. Like, this isn't going to be a switch where we start dictating the play to teams that are above us in the table um, and to Arsenal just because it's a derby match. Um, <laughs> but it's just like, I, I'm happy that we are dictating the play to teams that we are better than because. We didn't do that early in the season. Specifically Crystal Palace. We didn't do that against Crystal Palace early in the season. Um, so this is a change and an improvement, but I I don't want to get too excited about it going forward. So I guess my two questions are, I, I think kind of one overlooked thing this season is, we could talk about like Lo Celso's pretty much had a lost season. He, he's been available for what, like 20% of it or something like that. Aside from that, we've been remarkably healthy this season, especially in a COVID season. So, like, like Pierre has played literally every Premier League match. Like, Harry had his one little thing. Son has played every... I mean, it's our fullbacks. Like, our fullbacks are the only place... Well, Celso and our fullbacks are the only place yeah, we've been yeah. injured. But, like, we have been remarkable... Like, we have been far healthier than anyone around us, like, for the most part. So, like, we... we at some point, theoretically, players are going to get hurt because, like, you can't... You just can't be the only team that doesn't get hurt ever. So that is kind of one of my questions, is what happens when someone gets hurt or two or three players get hurt. My other question is, we've done this against bad teams. And like like you said, like, when we play against, like, City or whoever, like, we're going to bunker it in. It's Jose, whatever. My issue is not that we play negative against City. It's what happens against the other teams. But we also played pretty attacking to start the season, and things were going okay. And then West Ham happened, and then Jose reverted to form. So, like, how much confidence do you have that we're going to keep doing this? Because at some point it's not going to work just because, like, you get footballed or something happens, and then do we go back into two months of, like, this is just horribly boring and unproductive? 
Well, I think with respect to injuries, I think certainly this season we've made efforts to insulate ourselves against injuries to some of our key players. I think if you lose Sun right now, he's been mostly quiet the last month or so. And so, I mean, not to say that he hasn't contributed because his passing and, you know, his work rate and stuff, he, he hasn't been scoring. Um, but I think if you lose Sun right now, you plug in Bergvine again, you play uh, you, you play Lamella, you play Lucas, Bale, like, you, you have options there. Kane, you know, I, I don't know. This, te- this team doesn't have Harry Kane, like, it, it doesn't work ever. But, like, we have Vinicius, we have Bale, we have, you know, potentially a healthy Deli Alley. You have, you have better options than we have had in the past but if they um, have if we have those options why doesn't jose use it like we're like because he's jose literally play- well but no but I, I understand that but like that's kind of my point though is that like then what does jose do if someone gets hurt i mean we're at a point like, we're at a point where jose feels like his job isn't enough jeopardy where i don't think anybody any, i don't think he's going to start arbitrarily sitting players like he was earlier in the year uh, to prove points or whatever, but like I so I think that's a longer term problem than a short term problem because clearly he he went hat in hand to Delhi because he knew he was in deep shit and had to find a solution. So I think for the rest of the season, I don't think anybody's off limits. I don't. I, I think he's going to use who he's got to use. <sighs> you know. I- I think my question just goes back to sustainability. Like, whether it's because players are going to get hurt because that's the nature of football, or, like, we're going to get hit one time because that's also what happens in football. Like, how sustainable is new Jose? Uh, like, do, do you actually believe that, like, Jose taking the handbrake off is a real thing? No. I mean, yes and no. Like, I think he's learning to do this. I mean, again, the thing that gives me the most hope is that Sissoko is being sat. Like, we're, we're starting Lamella or Lucas in his place. And, again, I'll give Jose this. Like, in the recent stretch of games, he's found a way to make Lucas productive. Um, you know, which I think that is definitely something that comes and goes. But even, I think, at his worst, I think Lucas is a better player than Soko Because, you know, I think it was against I think it was against Palace in the first half. But there was one play. It ended up going nowhere. But Lucas, like, dribbles through, like, five or six guys before he loses the ball. And, like... It's ultimately unproductive. It's frustrating in a way that Lucas can be frustrating, but it's still more productive than Sissoko. Like, at least, like, Lucas knows how to advance the ball and do football things. Um, you know, Luke, uh, Sissoko just squares up against West Ham, which is, you know, something I don't want to minimize, but uh, it has limited use. I, I do think, though, that Jose is Jose. Like, like you know, for, for all the fun that we have had these last few matches he will revert to type and and whether it is like is whether it is um you know getting footballed or whether it is you know coming up against bigger teams or whatever the case may be jose is just going to eventually play jose Mourinho football and we can't escape that like he he said at every new job he's had since leaving chelsea the first time that he's, you know, changed, that he's, you know, he's not going to employ, you know, negative tactics, da 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 Maybe he didn't say that at Milan. But, like, from Real Madrid onwards, he's like, yeah, no, we're going to attack, we're going to score goals, it's going to be fun. And it, it hasn't been, ever. And, you know, I mean, you look at the wealth of attacking talent that he had at Madrid, that he had at Manchester United, that he has now. He had Chelsea. 
you just it's 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 just not gonna happen and that's you know what look like that's what we bought into like i've accepted that that is the way we're going to play football like i i don't particularly enjoy it i know a lot of fans enjoy it even less than i do um but like that's that's what we're stuck with like i I don't have any any expectations or or belief that we're going to all of a sudden play free-flowing high-pressing stuff all the time and just like win matches 4-0 like we're gonna win a lot more matches 1-0 and lose matches 2-1 than you know the rest of the way i mean i guess that's kind of my point then is that like at some point here whether it's like against arsenal or villa the week after or something like that like we're going to be holding a lead and then we're going to give up a late goal and draw it 2-2 or 3-3 or something like that and then jose is going to say well we're not sturdy enough at the back so sissoko's playing again and like that's how it's going to go like you can give him all the credit you want for how the last couple weeks have gone. I have no criticisms of the way that he has chosen the team or played the last few weeks. My issue is I just don't have any hope that when something happens, it's going to stay that way. And he's not just going to say, you know what? We, we play five good matches and one bad match. We might as well stick with the five and the one he's going to pick the one and react to the one. And then we're going to take that into the league cup final, or we're going to take that into a tough Europa league quarterfinal, or we're going to do that for four weeks in the league and fall to eighth again. Like that's where my that's where my concern comes. It's like the the last few matches, the last four matches, like are just like how much do you really have to like criticize? Nothing. Like this is great. Keep doing that even when things go wrong and I'm all in. I just have no hope that we actually well, it, when a thing goes wrong that we stick to it. It's it's I think Brian sort of alluded to this earlier, but it's just like if we could just do this, even again, and I'm, I'm it's 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 thing rule at this point, but if we could just do this against the team, the, the the teams that are worse than us, the Burnleys, the you know the Brightons, the whoever, you know, if we just like okay, let's whip their ass, and we, you know, I'm not gonna blame any manager for being a little more careful against like Liverpool or you know City or whoever. But even then, like you know, Liverpool's been dire for a while now, and like you know, I feel like we're the only halfway decent team that they actually like beat the shit out of. So. I don't know. Like, on the one hand, like, am I going to blame Jose for being really conservative against, like, City in the in the League Cup final? Like, not really. Like, you know, I, like, you know, Pochettino certainly played very cautious against some of these teams. Like, it's not out of the realm of reason, but, you know, if we could just, like, somehow normalize, like, okay, we're playing Burnley, we're going to, like, beat the brakes off of them. You know, that, just that would make me happy. How much confidence do you have that that'll be a thing that sticks? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, it's it's hard to say how much of it because you watch that team and you just think, like, you know, with Mourinho and how he played this year is, like, how much of it's just, like, Gareth Bale and Harry Kane are making it happen. You know, it's it's it's... I don't know. Like, Wendy said this on the extra inch, and I think it's not wrong. It's that you know, either Mourinho figured it out, and we're going to look good and rack up wins, and it's going to be fun on some level, or he didn't figure it out, and we're going to fuck it up again, and he's going to get fired. So, like, either way, it's going to work. Well, like, one way or another, it's going to work out for us, I feel like. I mean, I guess, I guess the question is, like, he's, he's figured it out for now until a thing goes bad, and then he reverts back to form. But, like, at what point do things go bad and does that happen? 
because that might be enough. It might be long enough out there that he keeps his job and then it goes bad and then we just re up it again next year. So it's kind of like if you are convinced that it's going to go bad, he like something will happen. He's going to revert to form. Like, unfortunately, weirdly, you kind of got a root that it happens sooner rather than later. Like, don't let him save his job before he takes it. Take it. Takes it. I mean, yeah. I mean, we can get into whether we think it's worth keeping Mourinho around or not. But like, you know, like the, the encouraging thing for me is the. Let's play Lamella and Lucas instead of Sissoko. Like, if I'm looking for encouragement, it seems that's where it feels like we've learned lessons. Uh, you know, maybe that'll change. I don't know. Uh, um, I mean, I think the encouraging thing, just overall, big big picture, is we're still not out of the hunt for the top four. Like, d- despite some of the shitty football that we've played all year, like we're. What five points back at Chelsea with a game in hand, um, and and Chelsea and Leicester haven't really looked all that great. I think United and City are probably safe in the top two spots, but between everybody competing, basically from third all the way down to eighth or ninth, like anybody could put a run together and 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 finish in the top four and. I mean, look, we've complained about Jose, and, and I think we're all on the same page. We really don't want him to be the manager next season. Um, I am pretty confident that he will be the manager next season. Um, so, I, you know, I think our, our it, it, at the beginning of the season, look, our goal is, you know, top four, qualify for the Champions League whatever way possible. And, you know, we still have two avenues open to us to qualify for the Champions League from the Europa League and and. By some miracle, we are not out of the top four race yet. Um, I think that's good for us. I, I, you know, we talk about building momentum, and if nothing else, that's what this run of last few games in the league has done for us. And we're heading into kind of a more difficult stretch with, you know, Arsenal, Aston Villa. Um, I think we have United coming up as well. We've got the League Cup final. Like, this was the time that we needed to take max points. So, I mean, I, I think that's, like, yeah, we are right there in both kind of avenues to get into the into the Champions League for next year. I think the next interesting question becomes, um, which do you prioritize? Because, like, oh. assume we, we, we hold on in, in Croatia. Like, let's just assume we do that, because if not, who the fuck cares anymore? <laughs> but, like, if you do that, then, then, you're play, then you're playing the first leg of the quarterfinals and then on on a thursday on sunday we play united then we play the second leg and the following weekend we play everton so like you do at that point i think jose is going to have to make some prioritization like even if you're not i'm not saying punt one but you're gonna have to make some kind of prioritization call there which do you prioritize because i i'm not entirely sure i think it's gonna depend like are we playing granada or are we playing like milan like you know because if we're playing Granada or, an, or a team of similar stature, and I don't want to take anything away from those teams because certainly Granada's had a good season in the Europa League, you know, like you could probably manage that fairly easily. But yeah, if you're playing United or Milan or Arsenal, like you know, that that all takes on a different form. Yeah, I I, I think you're absolutely right, and then. But if it's me, and if, if you're gonna, you know, gun to my head, like I'm gonna pro, uh, you know, I, I'm going to prioritize the Europa League um, because I think 
trophy ultimately is more valuable than fourth place finish. Um, I think probably fourth place finish is like a more statistically likely thing to accomplish um, than just just based on you know the number of opportunities and how shitty everybody's been this year. But as as a as a person that roots for Tottenham Hotspur, I want. I want a trophy. I want a silverware to put in the cabinet. Like that, that's especially the Europa League, because I know people like to shit on the Europa League, but that is a genuine trophy that feels like an accomplishment in a way that you know. Don't get me wrong. If we beat City for the League Cup, I'll feel very good about it. I'll be very happy. But like, I don't know. That Europa League trophy is a lot bigger. I was I was going to say then. So like, what say we win the quarterfinals and then we're looking at like the Europa League semifinals wrapped around the, or I think it's wrapped around the, the League Cup final, and say we say we win the League Cup final, does that change your calculus already, knowing that, like, hey, we got a trophy? Like, on what would I prioritize? No, I want to yeah. win, win the fucking Europa you're, League. You're, you're sticking with the Europa League regardless. I, like, like look, yeah. it, it is okay. not yeah, often, yeah, it is not often that you get a chance to win European silverware, and... You know, especially, I, I think it's pretty likely that we're going to have to play an English team before this is all said and done. So, like, you know, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast. Like, what if we get Arsenal and, like, deep in the Europa League or something? Like, I want to win that probably more than any other game we play this year. Like, you know, nothing would make me happier than dumping Europa, dumping Arsenal out of the Europa League, especially if it's in the, the final. Um, you know, I just think... Like, we've talked about this, and I, again, if we win the League Cup, it, it, it's something, and, you know, I don't want to take away from that, especially if we need the City team. Like, I, I think that's a real accomplishment that we should be proud of, but, you know, winning, like, watching Harry Kane and Eric Lamella and, you know, all these guys who've been on the team for a while, like, not just lift a trophy, but lift a European trophy, like a real honest-to-God European trophy. You know, it's not the same as if we won the Champions League, but it's it's a... It's an accomplishment, and I, honestly, I think, you know, we've talked about this on this podcast before, but, you know, I, I think, you know, there's something to be said for the way that Spanish clubs value the Europa League, and English clubs don't, and I think, you know, I think that's an accomplishment that you should be really happy with. Like, if we win a European silverware this year, shit, that's going to be awesome, like, even if it's not the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, I say prioritize the Europa League, because, like you said, like, I desperately, desperately, desperately want Harry and Hugo and Deli and Toby and Lamella. Like, I want them to win a trophy at Tottenham so bad. Like, they deserve it so much. I want them to win a trophy. I, like, League Cup, Europa League, what, like, win a, win a damn trophy. Like, you guys deserve to go walk up those steps, take your medal, hold the trophy in the air, go get shit-faced after and not listen to what anyone has to say to you ever again. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want desperately more than anything else. If we win the League Cup, though, not that I don't want to win the Europa League, but then I might be like, eh, if we got a better chance to get in the Champions League by getting top four, let's go get top four. Like, at that point, it just becomes what's the best way to get yeah. in the Champions League. Yeah, in, in, so like, in my gut, I think it's still the Europa League is the best way to get the Champions League for us, but maybe <laughs> maybe that's just my, like, lack of faith in Spurs in the league, but... And I should I mean, not place I think we, our faith in our ability to win a knockout competition, but still. I mean, at that point, it, it's late April at that point, so, like, literally, like, the, the actual calculus on it changes dramatically. Yeah. But, I mean, just saying, like, 
like my thing is I want the Europa League over top four because I want them to win a trophy. Yes. Once they win a trophy, if that happens, then like just do me the math. Which one are we most likely to do and, and prioritize that one? And I'm not gonna lie, like I, again, we like Brian said, none of us on this podcast, including Ben who can't hang, want Mourinho to be our coach next year. But if we win the Europa League, I'll suffer through. Like it's worth it. Like you, you know, as much as I don't like Mourinho. Watching this team win a Europa League, watching Mourinho claim credit for it, I don't give a shit. Like, Harry Kane, Eric Lamella, Hugo Lloris lifting the Europa League, like, worth it. It's it's totally worth it. It's what I want to see. Literally any, anything to get, like, eight of these guys a trophy. I don't yes. Like it. Yes. I think the thing that does, like, ease our calculus a little bit is that, for the most part in the league, we don't have a lot of tough matches remaining. You know, in terms of teams that are playing above us, we've got... Everton and United left. We've got to play Aston Villa twice. Um, really? Yeah, because because that that game got canceled. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right, that's right. Um, but so, so that's the other team that's like close to us. But otherwise, we're playing mostly bad teams and Arsenal. Um, well, so mostly bad teams. <laughs> yeah. So you know, like, oh, we got we have Leicester too on the last day. Yeah. So mostly bad teams. That's my only concern is that we wind up on the last day of the season needing to like beat Leicester for top four. Like that's my worry. But like, but other than that, I think generally speaking, you know, we've got Sheffield, we've got Leeds, who not not, not to knock Leeds or whatever, but like, you know, we don't have a lot of really tough games left. And I think we probably have the easiest schedule of a lot of the teams in the in the top six or seven. And, you know, our, our issue is we have Cup Final, we have Europa League to balance. And so, but I think it's an easier balancing equation when you take into account, like, I don't know, do do we care how Sheffield goes? Like, like can we beat Sheffield when we play, you know, a slightly rotated squad? I think, yeah. And, I mean, we all know Harry Kane's not going to sit. We all know Son isn't going to sit. Hoiberg isn't going to sit unless he's suspended. Like, those guys are just going to play 270 minutes in a week. Like, that's just what's going to happen until they die. So, you know... The thing is, though, our schedule isn't that easy. Like, we just played the easy part of our schedule. Like, it's actually not that easy now that we've knocked out Burnley, Fulham, Palace. Like, we have 11 games left. Six of them are against Leicester United, Arsenal, Everton, um, like, Villa. Like, more than half our games left are against real teams. Like, we also play Sheffield and, and like, Wolves and, and Newcastle and, some, and Southampton. But, like, we got to show up and play. Like, they, they, more than half our games left are against real teams. Like, that schedule looked really easy because we had Burnley, Fulham, Palace. But, like, good job on us. We took nine points and, and we did it largely looking really good. But, like, those nine points are on the board now. Well, again, either Mourinho won't be our manager next year or we're actually going to deliver. So, one way or another, we are, we're going to win. <laughs> I wish I had that confidence. I think there's a middle ground, like a purgatory that I'm still... I don't think Mourinho's here next year if he doesn't win a trophy or make us put us in top four. Uh, I, I think... I don't know. Like, we've kind of pulled out of that tail dive, or that tailspin we were in, where our form was just atrocious. I mean, clearly, it was bad enough that we were sounding out replacement managers. But I, I just think, unless... You know, the conditions under which... Mourinho is here next year are 
more or less acceptable to me. Like, if he wins the Europa League, like, fine. Like, okay, I'll put up with you for another couple months because that's probably worth it. But, you know, I don't know. Top four, maybe I mean, not as you, much. If you, hit, if you handed me a thing right now that says trophy or top four, Jose's gone, like, those are the options, I will sign on right now. I yeah. just don't have a lot of confidence. That's what That sounds great to me because, like, either we start fresh next year or like we 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 did something dope like that sounds great i'm I'm just not entirely sold that's the case well you know it all depends on how cold-blooded daniel levy is speaking of which this is the 20th anniversary today as we record this of daniel levy's ownership or chairmanship of tottenham hotspur i i don't know let's talk a little bit about daniel levy i feel like generally on this podcast on our blog uh which we definitely all write for um you know, there's a certainly, if we're not pro-Daniel Levy, we're generally anti-anti-Daniel Levy, because I think the opposition to Levy was so ridiculous for so long. Like, I think it, it, it people who didn't like Levy didn't sort of pick the right spots, is generally my opinion. I don't know. Um, Brian, you, you, you've talked a lot about Daniel Levy over the years. Overall, like, you know, I think there's, there's certainly a lot you could focus on at various points in time of his tenure, but, I mean... You know, how do you feel about his sort of stewardship of Tottenham Hotspur over the last two decades? I mean, I don't know how you can look at it and say it's anything other than, like, an unqualified success. I mean, look, where we were from when I became a Tottenham Hotspur fan, which was slightly after Ryan, you know, in 2004, 2005, you know, we announced what the Northumberland Development Project what, like 2005, 2006, somewhere in there, and then it takes until 2018, 2019 to finally reach fruition, and and now Spurs are in a position where we're not a Premier League also ran, we are, you know, a consistent top four team, we are one of the richest clubs in Europe, and, you know, we are, we are a much more global brand. You know, before when I wore, wore like a Spurs kit or a Spurs T-shirt in the public, no one knew what I would what I was doing. And now I I can walk around the grocery store in South Florida and someone will go, "Hey, Harry Kane," and I'm like, "Yeah, nice to see you too." Don't talk to me. Um, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's a pandemic. Put your mask on. <laughs> yeah. So you know, like like I don't think that you can argue that financially that just you know in the global consciousness spurs have grown immensely under levy's stewardship and i think in in terms of the product on the field uh the club has grown so much and and the type of players that we are able to attract and the type of players that we are able to put on the field on a regular basis you know i i think like i said it can't be anything other than an unqualified success like like, you can look at it and be like, look, he fucked up this transfer window. We didn't sign players here. He should have put in place these systems. Like, there, there are ways that you can criticize Daniel Levy. But I think big picture, like, just from where we were 20 years ago to today, it's it's absolutely, like, some of the best 20 years in the history of the club. Ryan, what do you think? Because I know you're, recently at least, you've been a little more critical of of Levy uh, than than some of us have been. So, what what do you think of sort of Daniel Levy? I mean, again, on on his twentieth anniversary as chairman of Spurs, what where where are you with our our esteemed chairman? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think Brian's spot on. Like, I mean, I think he has screwed up a fair number of things recently. I think he has a different and kind of, I think, inaccurate view of how to build and maintain a truly elite-level club that um, Tottenham is now, and I think that he's screwed that up. That said, if our complaint is um, Tottenham is a truly elite-level club, I think that is... uh, basically just speaks to his success because Tottenham was anything but that when he took over like if if the issue with Daniel Levy is he doesn't know how to handle an upper echelon club you have to give him credit for making Tottenham Hotspur an upper echelon club in the last 15 years the worst finish that Tottenham had um, was the Juan de Ramos start year when we finished in 11th place in the 10 years before Daniel Levy took over the club 11th place was higher than our average league position for the decade before he got here like his worst season of the last 15 is better than the average season in the 10 years before he took over. Like the level to which the club has improved uh, during his tenure is immeasurable. Like there is no club um, outside of Manchester city and Chelsea, which just had rich owners who gave them a ton of money that can match the type of rise that the Tottenham has had in the last 20 years. So like, I, I think there is no question that if you were looking at, at the best chairman of the last 20 years in the Premier League, like you would be very hard-pressed to convince me that anybody else besides Daniel Levy is, is that man. He has been incredible. And, and literally the only criticisms I think that I really have of Daniel Levy is that he has risen the club to such a level that um, he might not be right on top of it at this point. Like His criticisms are an endorsement of him. Yeah, it's well, it's weird is, is that he's. Well, I was just to say he's, he's put us in such a position that we can even continue to maintain this upper echelon status, even while he kind of mismanages a little bit. Like you, you have a position where you've got a training ground that is, a, 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 like the best in England. You have you have a stadium that is, people rave about as being the best stadium in the world to watch football at. Like like these are things that are going to keep Tottenham at this level for decades to come. Well, in the stadium... How to do a transfer window or not. The stadium everyone keeps talking about is just going to be a huge moneymaker for this club as soon as you know there's not a pandemic. And we really only started to see the benefit of that. I mean, I think, I think you're right, Ryan. I think if you look at recent years, I think there's been this element of, you know we are having a harder time operating at sort of the top of the pyramid than we did at sort of the mid-level or the three-fourths of the way up the pyramid because there's not as many teams you can sell to. The market's changed a little bit. And I think Levy has had some trouble navigating that. But, you know, I I think you raise an excellent point in terms of you look at where our finishes. Think about, again, this year might take the cake for that, but, you know, think about last year. Think about, like, we finished, what, sixth last year, I think? Um... You know, the the AVB Sherwood year, we finished sixth. Think about all the shit that went wrong in the AVB Sherwood year. And all the shit he got wrong in the AVB Sherwood year. And he built a sturdy enough club that we finished sixth. The worst I've seen us finish since I've been a fan is sixth place. That's crazy when you consider he took over this club and we were like, what, West Ham United? That's probably like a good comp for... What West Ham was a better club than we were at the time. So, but think about how insane that sounds. Yeah. Like, you know, like, West Ham is, like, so much our little brother in terms of, like, how much better we are than them. Like, 
think how frustrating it is when we lose to them because it, it you know it's like losing to Norwich or something you know it's like Spurs are in that upper tier and it's I don't know it's like in some ways I think for a lot of Spurs fans Levy's this avatar of just like modern football and it has very little to do with him as opposed to just like he's sort of a bit of a cutthroat businessman and represents a lot of things that people don't like about modern football but you know generally speaking like you know I think he's left the club and I mean he's going to leave whenever he leaves his team he's going to they're going to be in a much better place than where he found them and I think it's it's hard to be incredibly angry at him and I've always found you know, a, a bit of it is just how it's conducted, but I've always found the sort of Enoch Al anti-Levy stuff to be very shrill and kind of not very based in reality and just sort of, and I think it generally has more of a knee-jerk reaction to what our most recent results were than any sort of actual kind of ideological, you know, sort of opposition to how the club's being run. But, you know, it's hard to argue with him, you know, over the last 20 years. You know, I'd like to admit... I think the hope for all of us is now the stadium's built that, you know, things are going to settle down and he's going to be able to run the, run the actual on-field operations a little better than he had. But I, I think, I think as you bring up West Ham, it also does though bring up like a funny kind of alternative thing. And I don't say this to kind of like crap on Levy, but just kind of how there's 8 million things that happen over the course of running a football club. And it could go any number of ways. Mm-hmm. Like what hat, what happens if, the city decides to accept our bid instead of West Ham's and we move into the Olympic Stadium and said like and then we're looking at leaving in a completely different way yep. because they've left North London and they're playing this soulless crappy stadium and like all these things like it's just wild when you look back at it and you're like well we say all these things about leaving a lot of it is tied to not just the, the prior success but the stadium and where he leaves us going forward what are we saying if we're playing in the Olympic Stadium right now and they're not even in North London and like all it, it, and it sucks like it's just kind of wild how many weird little dumb things happen to kind of get us here and like do you want like I think it kind of goes both ways like you give Levy all the credit in the world for the stadium which is great and all these things also like he tried to put us in the Olympic Stadium and he failed at getting us in the Olympic Stadium well, that was the best thing that could happen well, look, but, but I think that's the but I wouldn't have the track there <laughs> so it would have been like there would have been a little bit of atmosphere I think the Olympics the Olympic Stadium is actually sort of like I think it's a perfect sort of microcosm of Daniel Levy because if you're inclined to be generous, that was just that was always a smokescreen to get you know whatever funding we could get out of the city of London or the, the British government so we could stay in North London. If you're not inclined to be generous, he's just trying to find the best deal possible, and he absolutely would have moved us to Stratford and called us kept calling us Tottenham Hotspur. So it's this sort of like, and we don't know what he actually was planning to do on that. I mean, I think we can guess, and I think we, we probably know the answer is he would have moved us if he got it. But, you know, it, it's so... He, on the one hand, he does all this stuff that's very good for the club, but on the other hand, he's just so inscrutable that it's like, it's very easy to assign whatever motives to him you sort of choose to. I mean, flip side of that, too, is though, like, he got lucky that, that we didn't win that bid. Yep. But, like, not not to go back and play like the and play the heartbreaks, but like what happens if what happens if Sissoko doesn't get a first minute handball and we win the Champions League final? Like what are we saying about Daniel Levy now? Yep. My criticism of him over the last two years, like if we're a Champions League a Champions League winner, it's like it, there's so many like 
I think he's a great chairman. Like, just flat out, a phenomenal, phenomenal chairman. And yet, like, some good luck and some bad luck completely changes the narrative. Yep. Yep. What happens if he doesn't get off the phone with Damian Camoli and decide, like, fuck it, I'm flying to Croatia, and, you know, I'm going to go sit, like, I'm going to go sit in a room with some, like, tax dodgers and war criminals and make sure that, like, Luka Modric plays for Tottenham Hotspur, like... It really is, like, fine margin. I mean, I think it's a good example of a transfer. is like the Sissoko transfer, which, you know, we only signed Sissoko because we misjudged the market because that, that was the year the TV deal changed. And we didn't have a good feel for what we thought Wijnaldum could get. And we, 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 you know, underestimated what we had to pay for him, and then he ended up going to Liverpool, and we bought Sissoko instead. And those are the kind of things that, you know, like, he tried to fuck... He tried to fuck uh, Aston Villa out of Jack Grealish for, like, a bargain basement signing. If they don't get new owners when they did, like, that probably works. And we have Jack Grealish on our roster, and that solves a lot of problems. And maybe Mauricio Pochettino is still here. But by and large, it's all kind of worked out for Daniel Levy. Like you, like you were saying, to really tie this all together before we wrap it up, Ryan, like you were saying earlier, like, it always felt like Spurs were progressing with a project. And that was certainly something that marked the large part of his tenure and it's it's a little unsettling to think about how much of that might have been down to you know a flip of a coin or something well and i think you know like look not that daniel levy is going anywhere anytime soon but like we were saying earlier it would certainly be kind of nice to cap some of this off with some actual silverware you know like we have the league cup in 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 06 07 whatever year it was i don't remember um that's it. That and and you know. So if you're going to criticize Daniel Levy, your criticism is, hey, he he, he didn't win any trophy. He he got one trophy. So it kind of be nice to win a couple this year, like or one it's, at least. Like, but, well, and well, his, his, the League Cup came in 08, the year that we finished 11. So his worst season was the year that was he was the year well, that It's so weird. <laughs> you look at how good we've been under Levy. You look at how much we've progressed. And I think, like to me, the real benchmark. If you want to like. If you want to sing the praises of Daniel Levy, he's like, look where Arsenal was when he took over the club in relation to us, and now look where they are. Like, even in a shitty year like this, we're still doing better than Arsenal. I mean, and admittedly, they could... I mean, I mean good point. Levy got on the plane, went to Croatia, and brought Luka here, whereas Wenger never would have done that. He would have talked four years later about how he almost signed Luka Modric. <laughs> the, the all-Wenger, almost 11. Uh, but yeah, it's... it's And that raises the question of, like, would you rather be where we are, or at least, let's say, the Champions League final, where we were then, as opposed to Arsenal, who sort of, like, are in clear decline, but kind of, like, back their way into a bunch of FA Cups, which is infuriating because I think we would all be incredibly happy if this generation of Tottenham players had won an FA Cup. Like, we would have... We would find that enormously rewarding, and instead Arsenal won, like, fucking three FA Cups or four FA Cups or whatever the fuck it is. And it's incredibly frustrating to me that, like, their decline gets rewarded like that, and yet, like, we're building this team, and yet, you know, we haven't... My question then becomes, like, say Levy continues to be the chairman for another 5, 10, 15 years, whatever it is. What what do you think defines or is most important for him to figure out to make sure that the next five, ten, fifty, however long he's still the chairman, kind of defines for Levy? Is, yeah, yeah. What does he have to do? Consistent, consistent Champions League qualification. 
like what is what does he actually have not not like what is the result oh, like, what oh. Is, as chairman what does he have to do to like secure his legacy fire jose Mourinho. do hands down is delegate yeah and, and delegate and and create systems and put people into position to make decisions that aren't daniel levy like like to you know Look, we've we flirted on and off with director of football. We flirted on and off with having analytics, with whatever. Like, we need to commit to that. We need to commit to an actual, um, you know, director of football or 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 technical director system um, where we have layers of decision making that are between the manager and Daniel Levy. And we need to commit to having a dedicated scouting network, having a dedicated analytics department, having you know recruitment analysts, have, having all these positions and all these systems in place. And I think that's always baffled all of us on this podcast, and, and, and me especially, is because Daniel Levy is such a savvy businessman that he doesn't recognize, he, he doesn't seem to recognize the benefits of these marginal gains that you can make by you know, having these analytics departments and identifying you players know, and being able to sign them, I think that's what he has to do going forward. Like, that's I think, the thing. And I, I agree with you, Ryan, that's what he should do. If I was to explain it, I think it's just, it's the kind of thing he understands and recognizes, but at the same time, he is victim to the, what's the best way to put this, victim to the standards of European football or what is common in European football. Because I think, you know, when have we seen it? He, Paul Mitchell had a falling out with Levy, which is what it was. Harry Redknapp came in, and he had to junk what he had before Harry Redknapp because that's what he had to have. There's just a way of doing things in European football, and, you know, he's at the mercy of that sometimes. Now, that isn't an excuse for not, you know, telling Harry Redknapp when he comes in that this is our scouting department, learn to work with them, it is what it is, but... We'll see if he can actually implement that long term. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to your point, and I think this kind of goes back to what has kind of defined his last twenty years. I was like, I agree. Like, he needs to put in an actual sustainable system and hierarchy, so that way the, the club can not just outlast him, but like we can outlast whoever our manager is now. And that's not to say that the manager, like, it's not just a Jose Mourinho thing. That's a whoever the manager. If we fired, if we fired Pochettino, like, we could fire anybody. So, like, yeah. Well, right, right. Like, but it can't be hinging on the manager. And I think that we've seen that he knows that that's the best way to run. I think we, I think he was doing that. He was trying to do that in the mid two thousands before it became entirely commonplace. So, like, I think he knows that he wants that. But I think that also. He's to a degree. I, I think the first time around when he failed on it was because Ramos went to shit, and he had to go to Harry because they're like, oh, "Please make us not relegated." Um, but beyond that, and, and then I think he kind of became again, kind of like the last twenty years, to a degree, a victim of his own success because like then we made the top four. So what are you going to tell Harry then? And then you try and put it in um, again. And we had a whole system set up with AVB, and then we still transitioned over to Pochettino. But then Pochettino got so good, and Paul Mitchell uh, decided that he wanted to take some money under the table, that it didn't work, and you couldn't tell Pochettino we're going to put a new director of football above you because you have Mauricio Pochettino. And I I don't think that's dissimilar to kind of part of the issue that we have now is we got really, really good before the stadium opened, and that wasn't the plan. We were supposed to open the stadium, then get really good, 
but we we were too successful too quickly and i think that's that's kind of been a running theme for levy is that he knows what he has to do for the most part he does it but we don't quite nail it on because we succeed too much like weirdly like we do the thing we're not expected to do and then you kind of have to adjust to this new place you're in and you haven't quite built in those foundations so yeah i mean i agree and i think that becomes the question going forward is post Mourinho, like you're gonna have your opportunity to build that foundation and hire sporting director and build out all those things that brian was talking about i think that's and i and i think he knows that i think history shows that he knows that that's what you're supposed to do i think that'll be the opportunity to do it hopefully and then that kind of secures his the club and his legacy in perpetuity the, the problem is it seems like the only club in europe that has actually developed like a coherent sporting director philosophy is Sevilla, and no other club has figured out how to do this i mean but we I mean, can hire the at, leipzig folks that's well okay yeah that's fair <laughs> I mean, but even like you look at you look at like Man City and like they're gonna be fine when Pep leaves. Or and you can talk about how much money that, but like Chelsea fires a manager every six weeks, and like yeah, they go up and down a little bit, but they're generally really good because they have somewhat of a hierarchy. And and so I I think you can look around and you see the same thing at Bayern Munich, you see the same thing at Juventus, like you see that. I mean, you're gonna see that at Liverpool. Like we can talk about how Klopp's a really good manager, but some of those players were brought in before him he talks openly about the fact that they bring in some players that like are not his picks. Like they have, they have people who run that for him. They have an analytics department and all those things. That's what we need. And I think, I th- like I said, I think history shows that Levy knows that he just, he's never been able to finish laying the foundations because we got too good before he can finish. And hopefully now he is able to, at some point in the next five, 10, however many years he's here do that. So whenever he leaves, um, the club is going to keep running with a degree of the success and upward trajectory that he's already brought the club because, I mean, I think, like, we all agree, it's been really incredible. Well, and I think that's one of the interesting things is I certainly thought the biggest source of friction when we hired Mourinho was transfers. I thought, I thought like, we are not a club with the kind of budget he's accustomed to. And I thought that was going to be a huge problem. And I think, by and large, what I think is interesting is I think Levy's kind of back on his bullshit, for lack of a better term, and he's doing, he's getting all these bargain buys, like, I think Bergvine was a Levy purchase, I think Hoiberg was a Levy purchase, I do not think we've done a lot of sort of Mourinho or, or Mendez specials, um, with the exception of, like, Doherty and some of these weird loan deals we've done, but, like, you know, I feel like since Pochito's left, he's kind of back to doing what he used to do, and... I don't know, maybe you could build a, a healthier infrastructure once we're not sort of part of the Mendez syndicate or whatever. But I think that's a good place to leave it uh, in terms of the Daniel Levy discussion. Uh, and I think that's a good place to leave this podcast. Uh, let's wrap it up. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can uh, find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Brian, I believe this is the first podcast we've done in a hot minute uh, where you, you haven't accidentally uh, muted yourself. Dude, I almost screwed it up right then. Yeah, I could tell. <laughs> I could tell. I was like, ah. Uh... Ryan, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I I suppose I'm on Twitter at Ryan Rosenblatt. I, I, I pop up other places. Who knows? <laughs> Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. We'll make it five stars, or we're going to make sure Mourinho's here for years to come, um, and not in a good way. Uh, also, follow us on our Twitter account at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ryan, for Brian, for Ben who can't hang, and of course, for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. 
Come on, you Spurs.